pandemic, a contentious election cycle, a divisive media on both the right and the left, endless arguments over social issues, church division and arguments. If there was ever a time in the history of our society when we needed more of the Spirit in our lives, it's now. This series is a study of the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5. We're talking about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And we're talking about how we can have more of these things in our lives. Thank you for joining us as we talk about life by the Spirit. I wasn't expecting that. Good to see everyone this morning. Um, Sandra and I were here for the first worship at Murray Hills. And then uh, we ended up going to Murfreesboro, to Stones River Church, because our son and daughter-in-law were over there, and they were making an attempt to get to know God better. So uh, we went over there until they moved back to Columbia, and we started back here again. So that's how long I've been here, or we've been here. Um, today, one of the things I told Russ that I wanted to do was have all the veterans stand up. If you're a veteran, would you stand, please? I thank you for your service. I'm a veteran myself. I was in a 12-man recon team uh, in Vietnam, and uh, we won't go into any war stories. We'll just leave it at that. But uh, it did cause some pain and some things uh, happen. Uh, my mantra was the song, I am an island. You know, I, I came out of the Army, and I could do anything. There wasn't anything I couldn't do. And uh, all I had to do was put my mind to it, and it happened. Until I ran into somebody else, and I, I didn't have the same thought they did, and they won. But, uh, you know, we uh, get things going. One of the things that I got into... Uh, wherever I first came home was uh, traveling. And uh, I worked for a company out of uh, Beirut, Lebanon that had, uh, did Holy Land tours. And it was my responsibility to go around and uh, sell those tours to groups of people. And I did that, and uh, it really shook my faith. Because one of the things that I came up with is all you have to do is talk to a preacher about money, and everything changes. I got pretty cynical that way, 
uh, I remember going to uh, one uh, major evangelist, and uh, before we got there, the uh, LL airline representative was with me, and she said, listen, as soon as we finish this, they're going to call me, but I'm going to protect you. I said, why would they do that? But I was naive. So we go have the meeting, and the thing that I noticed that his chair's elevated. You know, he's sitting above everyone else. And uh, so we started talking price, and it was out of New York, 10-day trip out of New York, including Athens. We sold that trip for $289, and it included two meals a day. Well, man, they kept on trying to get me down on the price, down on the price, and I'd, I knew I had the best price. Well, they turned around and sold that trip for 800 and some dollars. You know, it didn't have anything to do with the trip. It had to do with the money. And that really... Uh, got me about religion. I, my thought was, if religion is this way, I don't want any part of it. And uh, there was other things I could do. Well, I uh, came in contact with uh, a Catholic priest. And uh, he said, I want you to go and talk to the bishop. And so uh, I went to talk to the bishop, and I gave him what I was wanting to do or what I had. And he said, well, I'm really not interested in a trip to the Holy Land. Oh, really? He said, uh, we're having a celebration coming up this next year for Mother Seton, who, for those of you that are Catholic or have been Catholic, she's patron saint for the United States. And he said, uh, we want to do sort of a pilgrimage back to Baltimore where she had the orphan's home, and then we want to go down to Washington, D.C., and... Uh, have a day of prayer uh, there in our cathedral. Okay, so I go back and I get everything together, and it was going to be about a seven-day trip, and I presented it to him, and we had some free trips in there. And I had some money in there. I did it like we normally do, gave it all to him, and uh, Bishop Law said, uh, Oh, that's great. And we want to do the trip, except if you're going to give away any trips, we're going to give those trips to somebody that can't afford it. Well, that was strange. And he said, uh, we're going to have uh, Brother Leonard go along, and uh, we're going to pay for his trip. Wow, that was something. Completely different, you know. 
And so, uh, and he said, any, any money in there, take it out because we want to make the trip very affordable. Well, I thought that was great. And we did the trip back east. And I was very impressed. They had a day of prayer. They went to uh, the national, the Catholic National Cathedral and had a day of prayer. And uh, the only thing that got me about it, uh, they took communion four times. And if you're familiar with the Catholic Church, the priest has to drink all the wine. Well, they had this big glass, you know. And he had had four glasses of wine. But that's all right. Brother Leonard did just fine. Uh, but I was impressed with the trip. I was impressed what it was, and I got to know Bishop Law good. And so there was going to be the Eucharistic Congress, International Congress, in Philadelphia that year. Well, just before our conference, what was it that hit Philadelphia? Somebody help me. Legionnaire's disease. Oh, man. I thought, well, that's the end of that trip. But no, we ended up making the trip. And uh, the bishop came and found me. And he said, I want you to go with me. Uh, I got somebody I want you to meet. So I went with him. I didn't know what it was, who it was. Uh, and we were in a small meeting with some other bishops. And in comes Mother Teresa. And uh, I had a chance to say a couple words. And I was real impressed. And... Uh, I'm still impressed by her. Uh, I look for her to be in heaven. You know? What she did in the garbage pits of Calcutta, I don't know if any of us could do that. But that's just a little bit of background for you on me. Uh, I grew up Presbyterian, then... Uh, our uh, pastor died, and we got a new pastor, and he ran off with the church secretary. My dad was just mad. He, he left. And we started looking for churches, and we ended up in the Church of Christ. Uh, and... Uh, there's just things about Church of Christ that uh, bothered me, still bother me today. But uh, I tried to do the best I could. I went to Columbia Christian College in Portland, Oregon, which doesn't exist anymore. After I left, they closed. <laughs> uh, but uh, there I met Roy Osborne, who I think was one of the greatest preachers I've ever met because of what he did. And he introduced me to K.C. Moser. I'm just giving you Church of Christ background. 
K.C. Moser was an editor for the Gospel Advocate, and he wrote a book titled The Way of Salvation. And you can still get the book. But he was just about ostracized from the church, not because of what he said about baptism, but because of what he said about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, he said, was active. Well, that made sense to me, you know. And uh, I, re I read his book and started following that, and I started understanding the Holy Spirit is active in us. It comes and lives in us. It is not tied up somewhere. The Holy Spirit is alive and active. I give testimony to it. I believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And only through Him do I find fulfillment. Well, whenever I decided that the Holy Spirit was active, boy, did I get in trouble. Woo! I wasn't wanted anymore. And uh, Sandra's parents were charter members at Graymere. And we were going there, and it was a time in my life I was out doing sales out on the road. And I was in San Antonio, one of my favorite cities. And I'd heard about Max Licato. And I thought, well, I'll just go see what he has to say. And uh, I went one Sunday, and he was preaching his book, in the grip of grace. And I got to tell you, that changed my life. Because I began to understand a few things. And uh, come to find out, one of his mentors was Roy Osborne. And uh, I communicated some with Roy and expressed my thoughts and and he thought I was on the right track, and that's all I needed, you know. But I started studying my Bible more. When I was out on the road at night, I just had time. So I started journaling because my thoughts were all confused. Any of you read the book, uh, The Shack? You know, you got the Holy Spirit talking with the guy and... Uh, He's saying, what's all, this is the garden, she says. And he says, it's a tangled mess. And uh, uh, she tells him at the end, well, that's your brain. And I could really relate to that because I had all kinds of thoughts. And uh, so I thought, well, i got to sort things out. So I started journaling, and I journaled for three or four years. Then I decided, well, i got to write down in some type of systematic order what I believe. And as I started doing that, I realized that I, lit, I 
believed in an active spirit. I believe things happen because of the spirit living in us. It doesn't happen out of my intelligence. It doesn't happen out of my uh, works. It happens because God wants it to happen. It happened here. I'll give you two examples. Here in this congregation. First, there was a uh, young couple. And uh, he ended up with a tumor back here on his brain. And... uh, Man, they were scared. And uh, we prayed for them, prayed earnestly, and uh, prayed that everything would turn out fine. And he went in to have the surgery, and when they opened the skull, the tumor just fell out. Just literally fell out. That's God at work. That's an answer to prayer. That is the Holy Spirit. If you believe that God answers prayer, you have to believe in an active spirit. One other example I'll give you is uh, Ima Jones. She and Jean Moore were good friends and lived together. And Ima... I guess she was in her 70s then, uh, came up and she had breast cancer. And uh, when she got out, the doctor told him, uh, from all that we have seen, you have stage four cancer. And uh, we're going to give you a few days to rest up from the surgery and then we're going to go in and do some tests and find out where the cancer is. Well, she went in, they did a PET scan, did all the other tests, and she was cancer-free. Praise God! That's what happened. That's what happened in this congregation. The Spirit at work. Well, I'm on, before I get to faithfulness, I'll tell you one more thing that, uh, about the Spirit. And that is, if you Google the girl with two hearts, it'll tell you the story about a girl in England. And when she was a newborn, just days old, They told her parents she would not survive unless she got a new heart. So they agreed to it, naturally. So they go in to give her a new heart, and her veins are so thin and tiny, and it's going to take a little bit. They don't take the old heart out. 
they leave it and attach the new heart. Well, she's grown out, growing up, that sort of creates some problems for her. At one time, I think when she was about 12, she had cancer. But she had all kinds of problems with the two hearts. She just, she got to where she despised having two hearts. So they wouldn't allow her to have it taken out until she was 18. When she turned the age of 18, she demanded that they take out that transplant. And they told her, if we take that out, you're going to die. You will die. There's nothing else will happen. We can have you on a ventilator, but if we take you off the ventilator, you're going to die. Well, she said, I don't care. Let me die. This is too much for me. So they did the surgery. And she lived. They took the transplant out. Do you know what happened? Have any idea what happened? The transplanted heart transformed the damaged heart. You can go read the medical papers on it. We receive the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we're in conflict with it. We have things going on. And we feel double-minded at times. But what's happening is that the Holy Spirit is transforming us into the likeness of God. I'll give you this. The Holy Spirit leaves us when we get to heaven. We become pure. Enough on that. We're going to talk about faithfulness. And there's some people... Uh, that uh, in the Bible, that I wonder how they can call them faithful. Uh, and they were warriors. First one come to mind is Abraham. Abraham, uh, his nephew is taken captive. And Abraham by, uh, I think it was four kings, and uh Abraham gathers 300 and some men and uh, he goes to get his nephew back. Well, when he does that, he defeats those kings. He gets everybody free. They get all the loot back, everything that was taken. It all came back. And they killed the enemy. You know? We do with, I shall not kill. And uh, so he comes back, he brings his nephew back, and the high priest of the one and only God, Melchizedek, comes out 
and blesses Abraham. And Abraham gives him a tenth of the bounty. And the rest of it he gives back to the kings that it was taken from so they wouldn't hold anything against him. Abraham was a warrior. Another one that I think about and I just really have a hard time with is Samson. If you look in uh, Hebrews 11, we've got that Hall of Fame of Faith. And Samson is mentioned. Now, Samson was, uh, how do I want to put, a womanizer? That's a nice way to put it. And a drunk. You know, one night they thought they had him captive. And uh, they, his enemies, and he took the gates off and carried them up on, uh, on top of a hill and then shouted back to them. He was a strong man, and he killed a lot of men. Uh, whenever, uh, whenever something wasn't right, Samson was the one that would go out and kill the enemy. He was a warrior. Now, I don't recommend that we go out and kill our enemies. Uh, it'd be easy to do for me. But uh, I don't recommend we do that. But there he is listed in the Hall of Fame as one of the faithful. How can that be? You know, I, I, he did too many things wrong. How could he be faithful? What was his faithfulness about? We hear today our faithfulness, if you just have the faith, you're going to be rich. You'll be a rich man. Now, I know faithful people that are rich. And thank you, God, for them. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to be rich. I can't handle money. God's not going to make me rich. It took me a long time to come to that conclusion. You know? But yet we hear today, if you're faithful, God's going to make you rich. I just don't see it because I look at the prophet Jeremiah. What was Jeremiah about? He's known as the weeping prophet. He watched the destruction of Israel and Judah. He went to Egypt and watched the destruction of the remnant that went. Was Jeremiah faithful? Oh, yeah. He was very faithful. I don't ask to be put in those shoes. You know? I, that just doesn't happen. Let me bring a story of being faithful at home. I talked about Ima Jones. Let me say a little bit about 
Gene Moore. Jean Moore was raised by her mother. Her father took off when she was very young. He was uh, a drunkard, uh, pretty much no good. And uh, she didn't have much contact with him at all. Very, very little. And especially as an adult. And her father ended up in a nursing home in Lawrenceburg. And they called Jean to tell her that her father was dying, that he was going to die any day. And that if she didn't do anything, he'd go in like a pauper's grave, I guess, an unmarked grave. And they asked her if she wanted to do anything. And remember this, the man had abandoned her when she was just a small child, had nothing to do with him. Jean Moore made funeral arrangements and had a proper burial for her father. Folks, that's being faithful. And you know what? That is what our God is like. He is faithful. He calls us to be faithful. God doesn't call us to be perfect. Perfection is not what God calls us to. None of us are perfect. Perfection, if that's what you're striving for, is to lose God. You'll lose Him. You'll be a, like the Pharisees. Perfection comes in, or faithfulness comes in abandonment. It is abandoning what we hold dear. Faithfulness is an abandonment of ourselves. I'll close this out real quick, but I, I'll make reference to some. In uh, Ezekiel uh, 28, it says that the devil was kicked out of heaven. Do you know why he was kicked out of heaven? Anybody have an idea why the devil was kicked out of heaven? It was only one thing that got him kicked out of heaven. It was pride. See, I believe there's only one sin. And it's pride. That's what gets us. That's what we have such a hard time overcoming. Our pride shows 
in a lot of different ways. But that's, that's what gets us. Getting rid of pride just seems like an impossibility to me. I mean, you know, it just, it just pops up. It seems like it's just natural. That's not true. That's the lie. Pride is a lie. The truth and what we're hardwired for, neuroscientists have proven this, we are hardwired to love. That's what we're hardwired to do. Pride gets in the way of love every time. Every time. So I'll close out with uh, this scripture that is my favorite. Because it's pretty simple. It says, uh, Micah 6.8. In Micah 6.8 it says, What does God require of you, old man? Three things. He says... You're required to do what is right. Whenever you make a decision, make sure that it's the right decision. Do what's right. The second thing is, your love mercy. Be very gracious. Be kind. And the third thing that he says... He says to walk humbly. Man, that's hard to do. That's real hard to do. If we, if we could just do those three things, those three things, we're on our way to heaven. Those three things make us holy. Those three things will make us faithful. Faithfulness boils down to three things. Doing what's right. Loving, mercy, and being humble. I leave you with that message. And I appreciate you letting me have this conversation with you. And I hope some small part of it you can take home with you. And uh, we'll close in a prayer. Lord, we thank you for being the Lord God Almighty. We thank you for the plans that you laid out before we ever knew what was what. And uh, may we always make you our top priority. And may we always love you and love those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.